Guys, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me for our scripture reading for our sermon text this morning. We are continuing in Philippians chapter 3. Last week we looked together at Philippians 3, 1 through 11. And today we're going to be looking together at Philippians 3, verses 12 to 16. Paul's letter to the Philippians 3, 12 to 16. I invite you to please stand with me for the reading of Holy Scripture. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let's ask him to bless our time in his word today. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We thank you that you have given us your holy scriptures, inspired, infallible, powerful, authoritative, sufficient, supreme, to be the rule of our faith, to be the guide of our lives. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. We pray you would bless the reading of this word in our presence today. And we ask now that you would bless indeed the preaching of this word, that I, your servant, would fade away and that you would stand forth in glory and power, and that you would give us your Holy Spirit from heaven to do what only He can do, which is take this life-giving Word and give us life. Write it upon our hearts, stamp it upon our lives, and may we go from here changed a little bit more into the image of Christ. For that is our ultimate desire, to be like Him. We ask this in His name and for His glory. Amen. You may be seated. So last week we began this short series through Philippians 3. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 11 when we talked about discipleship as a gift, the gift of discipleship. Last week, this was what we focused on. We should seek to be fully committed disciples, but we must never put our confidence in the flesh. We must never put our hope in our performance. We must not trust in our own righteousness. All our confidence, all our hope, and all our trust is in Christ alone. In who He is, not who we are. 
in what He has done for us and in our place, not what we have done for Him. We should see ourselves as justified sinners. Justified on the one hand, sinners on the other. Justified sinners who are in pursuit of a life of discipleship with the gospel always as our starting point. The gospel is not Christianity 101 and then you finish that and you move on to bigger and better things. We will spend an eternity of eternities diving deeper and deeper into what the gospel truly means to the infinite depths of the wonder of the gospel. We never leave it behind. We always take it with us. As we pursue discipleship, we start with the gospel. We stand in the gospel. We continue with the gospel. And God willing, we finish with the gospel. We never leave it behind. This is how, we saw last week, our discipleship relates to justification. And this morning, we're going to look at the next section in Philippians 3 and consider how our discipleship relates to our sanctification. And it's important to keep the two never separate, but always carefully distinguished because they're not the same thing. They can't be pulled apart, but they must never be confused as though they're the same thing. So let me put it like this. If justification puts us in the position of being a justified sinner, then sanctification is about living out of this position in such a way that our sinfulness steadily decreases and our holiness steadily increases. Justification is about the restoration of our righteousness before God. Sanctification is about the renovation of our personal holiness in the world. And as we look to the scriptures today with this careful distinction in mind, and keeping last week always in mind as well, let's see how this sanctification process of decreasing in our sin and increasing in our holiness, let's see how this process relates to discipleship. So we begin with verse 12 of our text. Philippians 3.12, look at it with me. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Now this verse, verse 12, is the bridge between what Paul just said in verses 10 and 11 and what follows. Paul says, not that I have already obtained, or not that I am already perfect. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about what he just said in verses 10 and 11. He says he wants to be found in Christ, verse 9, and then verse 10 he says, so that I may know him. I want to be in Christ so I can know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And that's what he means when he says, not that I've already obtained this, right? I'm not already made perfect. I haven't got there yet. 
Paul longs for full, final conformity to Christ. To be totally like Him. Not just eking his way up and getting closer and closer. He wants to be there. He wants to be, he wants to obtain it. He wants this perfection. He wants to fully be like Christ. To have all of his life. All of Christ's life within him. To have all of his resurrection power in him. To be conformed to him totally in life and in death and in the resurrection. That's what Paul looks for and longs for, but he is fully and painfully aware that full and final conformity, he doesn't have that yet. Not that I've already obtained. I haven't made it to my destination yet. I haven't gotten there yet. I'm on the way, but I have not yet arrived. And he's assuring the Philippians. I mean, a minute ago, we saw last week, he was saying, look, I was blameless according to the law. I had all of these accolades and accomplishments. I have these, all these credentials and all of these uh, wonderful things on my you know, spiritual resume to commend me to God for why He ought to be you know, pleased with me and why I should be acceptable to Him. I have all these things I should brag about and boast about, but that's trash. It's rubbish. It's garbage. It's nothing compared to Christ. Yeah, compared to everybody else, I look pretty good. Compared to the perfect standard of God, it's trash. It's nothing. It's rubbish. It's loss. So I, I just cast it all aside so I can have Christ. He was just talking like that a few minutes ago, earlier in this section, in this chapter. And now he's saying, look, I'm nowhere near perfect. I haven't obtained the thing that I really want, which is to be fully like Christ. I'm on the way, but I'm not there yet. So this is the bridge. This sets up where we're going. What we just saw last week and where we're about to go this morning. There's this debate among Christians about whether or not a Christian can be possessed. You ever thought about this question before? Can Christians be possessed? Now normally we think about, you know, demon possession, right? Can Christians be possessed by demons? Now, wherever you stand on that issue, as interesting as it is, Paul makes a point here in this, in this verse. He makes it a point to say that Christians, in a very real and much more important sense, are already possessed. He says in verse 12, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Jesus has claimed Paul for himself. I am pressing on to be like him because he has already laid claim to me. He has already captured me. I am already in his service. I am already bound to him, united to him. I am in his possession. He has me. And now I'm just longing to have more of him. That's the framework for Paul in this passage. He already has me. He's claimed me. And now I just want more and more of him. Now, he says, I press on to obtain that full conformity to him in his life and death and resurrection. As he says, one more time, not that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, to make this perfection mine, to have it as my possession, because I 
am the possession of Christ. Because we belong to Christ and are in union with Him by faith alone, all His heavenly, divine, perfect righteousness is already ours. It is perfect. It is complete. His righteousness can never increase and it can never diminish. And that is what justifies you before God. In Christ you have the righteousness you need to be right with God. And no other place can you get it. That's what Paul said earlier in verse 9. Of chapter 3. He says, I want to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. In Christ, we are already fully, perfectly, completely righteous. That's what justifies us. Though in Christ, although in Christ, our righteousness is full and complete and perfect in ourselves, we are not full, <laughs> we are not complete, and we are not perfect yet. We are justified sinners. Justified fully in Christ, but in ourselves still sinners. And this is where sanctification begins. Paul says in verse 12, I press on. Sanctification is about striving. Sanctification is about pressing on. The whole purpose of sanctification is to bridge the gap, Christian, between who you are in Christ and who you are in yourself. You are perfectly righteous in Christ. You are as sinful as it gets in yourself. And the point of sanctification is so that our sinfulness will decrease and our holiness will increase and we get more and more righteous until one day what we are in Christ and what we are in ourselves perfectly link up. That's the goal. Our justification is perfect and full. That righteousness can't go down. It can't go up. It's the righteousness of Christ. It's from God. It's by faith alone. You didn't perform it. You can't earn it. Christ performed it and earned it, and it's yours by faith. But that sinfulness we all carry around, that's what we go to war on, and that's what sanctification is about. We've been reconciled to God in Christ. We've been restored to His righteousness, and now... We're being renovated into the image of Christ. We have His righteousness. Now we want to live like it. Becoming in ourselves slowly, inch by inch, progressively, steadily, what we are in Christ already. We press on to do this. We make progress. We strive to obtain that complete likeness to Christ that we long for, that we read about from Paul. In verses 10 and 11. This is where sanctification belongs. In the Christian life. Now next stage of the argument. Point two. Look now at verses 13 and 14. Paul says brothers. I do not consider. That I have made it my own. 
But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Beautiful, beautiful, famous words from Paul. Forgetting the past, pushing on to the future. This is the fundamental principle of the Christian life. We forget the past and we strive ahead into the future. That's Paul's fundamental principle for sanctification in this passage. He has more to say about it in other places, but here this is the point he wants to make. The fundamental principle, the key mindset we ought to have in our sanctification is we forget the past and we strive ahead into the future. We put our past behind us and we set our eyes on the prize. We pursue the goal of God's call on our lives and we do not look back. When Paul says forgetting what lies behind or forgetting the past, what does he have in mind here? What are the sorts of things we ought to leave behind? Well, I'm sure there are many answers to this question. I just want to consider three with you. Three things we ought to forget about the past. First is this. In context, what does Paul mean? Well, he's still speaking autobiographically. One thing I do, I forget my past. And Paul already shared with us what his past is earlier in the passage, who he used to be before he came to know Christ. So the first thing in context is this. We should leave behind the resume of the flesh that we used to put confidence in the way Paul did. In other words, what we should leave behind is our own self-righteousness. My good intentions, you know, my New Year's resolutions, uh, my best efforts, my sincere desires, all the accomplishments, all the accolades, all the good things, all the spiritual progress, uh, anything that we can pile up in the look what I did category, the things that I performed, that I think, look God, look how shiny my good works are, aren't you impressed? All that stuff... The stuff that we're tempted by the enemy to put our trust in and our confidence in and think, oh, this is the basis of how God feels about me. All that stuff we leave behind. Leave behind the resume of the flesh like Paul did. In other words, forget your self-righteousness. Second thing. Forgetting the past means leave behind your old sins and your old life. Paul, in other places in his letters, doesn't just brag about who, you know, how good of a, of a Jewish believer he used to be, how good of a law keeper he used to be. He also mourns terribly the persecutions he used to bring against Christians. After he became a Christian and realized that it wasn't just Christians he was persecuting, but it was Jesus himself that he was persecuting, because Jesus and his body are identified. And what I do to you, I do to Christ. Because you're a member of his body. Paul couldn't, he just, he, he almost couldn't get over how ashamed and guilty he felt over that old life he used to live, persecuting God's church. He said, I was the worst of sinners. There was nobody worse than me. Blameless according to the law, but the worst sinner I know is me.
That's where Paul was. And so what, what should we leave behind? What should you leave behind? Leave behind. Forget those old sins and that old way of life you used to live before you knew Christ. Leave it behind. If first we should leave behind our self-righteousness, this point says we should leave behind our unrighteousness. All of us probably, unless we were... Unless we've been saved since, since the cradle, and, and I hope that that is your testimony. That's a lot better than having a, a, a horrible, rotten testimony and then getting converted later in life when you have all these sins piled up. We like those stories because we like to hear how God can change lives. But I think it's better if you were spared that and you just have always been a Christian since, the, since your earliest thoughts and memories. You know, bless you if that's your, if that's your testimony. That's not an inferior testimony. That's a good testimony. You can't remember not loving Jesus? That's wonderful. But for those of us who lived a life of sin and rebellion and nastiness and ugliness and, and just rebellion and the things that we just piled up, these bad decisions and this hurt and pain we caused and doing it our own way and just leaving a, a mess, just creating little pockets of hell all around us before we knew Christ, if that's something you still carry with you, Paul says you've got to leave that in the past. You've got to leave that back where it is in the past. It's not your present. It's not who you are today. Forget your self-righteousness. Put it in your past, but forget your unrighteousness and leave it back there as well. And the third thing I want to say about this, about forgetting the past, leave behind your past failures and regrets as a Christian. Some of us, right, we get saved and then we've been Christians for years and even after we became a Christian, we have done unspeakable things we wish we had never done and wish we could take back. Even after we become a Christian, there are, there are sins we commit. There's, we hurt people, we betray people, we sin, we're not, we don't keep our word or we let people down or we wrong someone, we speak in a way we shouldn't speak and we act in a way we shouldn't act or we fail to do the good that we know God wanted us to do. I had a chance to do good and I said, nah, I'd rather go over here and do my own thing and we neglect and we turn away and we abandon each other and we just sin, sin, sin even after we're Christians because we're justified sinners and that means we keep sinning. <laughs> Every day. But the difference is now we hate that. We regret that. Paul says in Romans 7, the good that I want to do with all my heart, I just can't seem to do it. What's wrong with me? Paul says. He says it in more flowery spiritual language. You know, wretched man that I am, right? And we read it like it's this Shakespearean play. Wretched man that I am, like he's holding a skull or something. Oh, Titus. Right? We read it like that. But read it like it really is. Paul is he's desperate. He says, what in the world is wrong with me? Why do I keep sinning even though I know what's wrong and I don't want to do it? Why can't I stop sinning? I love God. I love His Word. I want to obey Him. But every time I'm about to do good, there's sin tricking me and deceiving me and leading me astray. And he, Romans 7 is a desperate chapter. And if we're not careful, we can just let that plague us and dominate us and tear us apart. We sinned even after we became a Christian. Maybe I'm not even a Christian if I act like this. What's wrong with me? Paul says, guys, you got to take a cue from me. I had to learn this the hard way too, Paul says. 
I wrote Romans 7. I know what you're feeling. I know what it's like to have the spirit at war with the flesh. I know that. But listen, we've, one thing I do, he says, one thing I always have to do, I forget what lies behind me and I strain forward to what lies ahead. Let go of your self-righteousness. Leave it behind. Let go of your unrighteousness. It's in the past. Let it stay there. Don't drag it into the present with you. And don't bring up your past failures, your self-righteousness, your unrighteousness, and your self-pity. Leave it behind. It's done. It's gone. It's over with. Christian, your past does not define you. Your past does not have to dominate you anymore. Your past, if you're in Christ, cannot destroy you. In Christ, Christian, your past is dead and gone. In Christ, your healing has already begun. In Christ, God has an incredible prize for you. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Christian, God is calling you upward, higher up. Christian, higher up, you were made to soar. God is calling you not just upward, but inward. Press on toward the goal. Press in to what He has called you to do. You were made to go deep with Him, not to be satisfied and content with mediocrity and just barely making it and staying stagnant and think, well, at least I'm not doing worse. Well, I could be a lot worse of a Christian. I guess that's something to thank God for. No, we're made for more than that. We were made to know Him and the power of His resurrection and to share in His sufferings and be like Him in His life and in His death so that by any means possible we can attain to the resurrection and be fully like Him. Higher up, Christian, and further in. That's what you were made for. And if we don't put our past behind us, we can't press forward. As, uh, as my preacher said many, many years ago when I was a kid, I still remember it vividly. I was in seventh grade. I still remember it vividly. He said, unless you have peace with your past, you cannot have power in your present. In Christ, you can have peace with your past. You can actually let it go. And you can strive, press on forward, always forward toward that prize, that glorious future that God has for you. That brings us to our last point this morning. Notice in verse 14 that Paul says, or Paul uses the language of athletics. Verse 14 again, he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Pressing towards a goal to win a prize. It's this athletic language, possibly of a race. I'm pressing forward to reach my destination, to reach a goal, to win a prize. This is where discipleship comes into the picture. Remember that our definition of discipleship from the previous series is the disciplined process of growing in Christian maturity. 
Our sanctification, therefore, based on verse 14, is goal-oriented. And discipleship gives us the structure and the discipline to help us make progress, to make the most progress we can towards that goal in this life. And as we get better and better at this, at forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward and pressing on, as we get better and better at this, and as we make more and more progress, Paul says, we grow in maturity. Look at verse 15. Paul says, let those of us who are mature think this way. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Meaning, let them take the same mindset I just gave you. I forget what lies behind. I press on to what lies ahead. If there's anyone mature among us, Philippians, he says, let them think this way. And then he says, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. It's a very sweet way of saying God is going to smack you awake if you don't agree with this. If in anything, if you think otherwise, if you think, no, nah, I don't have to forget my past. Uh, no, I, can, I don't need to follow this principle. There's no pressing forward. There's no striving. There's no pressing on. Eh, if you think otherwise, he says, God will reveal that to you. In other words, God will give you the reality check that's coming your way. And he'll show you that that's a dead end. And he'll show you that you need to do what Paul commends, to press on and press forward. Paul says in verse 15 that maturity means cultivating this mindset in your Christian life. Cultivate this mindset. Get into the habit of practicing the let go of the past, press on to the future principle. Maturity means cultivating this in your own practice of discipleship in your own Christian life. And then Paul concludes with verse 16. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you too in time. Don't worry. Verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul's final word to you today, Christian, is hold on. Hold on. Maybe you're sitting here and thinking... Pressing forward, forgetting the past, striving ahead, going for the goal, eyes on the prize. That's not me. <laughs> I'm not living like that. That's not what my Christian life looks like. That's not what my Christian walk feels like. There's no striving. There's no pressing. There's just sort of coasting, floating, stagnant, standing still, drifting, aimless. Not going to the goal, but aimless, wandering about. No prize in sight. No upward call in mind. Maybe that's you this morning and you hear this as like, what a condemnation. I'm nothing like that. I don't, even, I don't even know how I could become like that. Paul says, if you're mature, you're going to have this mindset that I just laid out for you. And if you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Only do this. 
If you can't do anything else right now, Christian, only do this. Let us hold true to what we have attained. Even if you aren't going forward today, even if you're not going forward right now in this season, don't go backwards. Hold true to where you've already reached. Forgetting the past means not backtracking. Stand firm in Christ to the extent you've already walked with Him, to the extent you've already made progress, even if you feel stuck and stagnant like your feet's in concrete and you just can't seem like you can take that next step. Don't go backwards. Stand firm in Christ and pray God for help that He would do for you what only He can do. And that's melt the heart of stone. And release your legs from the chains that hold you down. And we'll put wind beneath your wings so you can rise higher up and further in. And know a depth of a walk with Him that you never thought was possible. That's sweeter than you ever thought it could be. It's more joyful. Even if it leads through pain, it's more joyful than you realized it could be. That this is better, sweeter. This is gain. It's gain to have Christ, even if it means losing everything else. And you ask God to give you that taste of Him, to give you this longing, to help you cultivate this mindset, to give you that motivation and drive and determination to be a disciple, to remember the gospel, and ask God to do a work and a wonder in your heart that only He can do anyways. We can't conjure this up on our own. We, it's, it's just, if we try to do it in our own strength, it's just false fire on God's altar that he'll despise and he'll puff out. But if we let him kindle his fire within us, we will rise higher and higher until one day we rise from the dead itself and we will be fully like Christ. Keep your eyes on the prize, Christian. Stand firm in Christ and strive forward, always forward in His strength. Press on. The prize is just in sight. Let's pray. Father, we're staggered by the grace that You've given us in Christ, that You've made us righteous in Him, and that You've given us Your Holy Spirit and you've given us a goal to strive towards, to fix our eyes on, that we have a prize. We don't deserve a prize. We have earned the opposite of prize. But because of Christ and purely by your mercy and grace to us, we have a call from you. We have a goal to strive for. We can get over our past. We can get beyond it. It does not have to dominate us and destroy us, and define us. Christ defines us. And we ask that you would give us the power to strive forward, to make us earnest, to give us that drive and motivation, not just good intentions, not just nice desires, not just wouldn't that be nice and hopeful wishes, but drive and motivation to get up and press on. To let our legs that are so heavy with lethargy and just, and maybe apathy, help us.
stir us, get us up. Let it start with me, pathetic little Wesley. Let it start here in this slow to hear, lazy heart. Light this one on fire. Let it start up here. Perhaps the neediest one among us. And don't let it be just a show and just fake, but let it be authentic. And I pray that for every leader in the church and every volunteer and for every member. Those here, those who watch online, those who haven't been here in a while but are still loosely connected. Lord, I pray for it the whole body. We all need you equally. And we all have the same call, the same goal, the same prize from the same God because of the same Jesus through the same gospel. So bind us together, we pray. Lift us up. Cause us to rise in our walk with you. And let us see mind-blowing progress in our own individual walks and in our homes and in our relationships with each other and in our church. We pray you would take us to levels we didn't know we could reach. Help us to advance forward with power and triumph and joy. And may we do it in your strength. And may we do it for your name's sake and for your glory. As we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.